We are in currently in the Gospel of Mark. We're working our way through as quickly as we can because Mark worked his way through his own book as quickly as he could, his own writing as quickly as he could. Um, we're going to get all the way through chapter 3 today, and we're starting in verse 7. And as you know, most of the gospel chapters are fairly long. And ra- rather than reading our text uh, as we stand together, though, we'll just sort of work our way through it so we won't be standing this morning for the reading of the Word. Uh, today's message is part two of the theme, Misunderstanding Jesus. Really, this could be the theme of the entire gospel because Almost every day of Jesus' ministry, people misunderstood him. But we're seeing it particularly so, end of chapter 2 and beginning of chapter 3. Let's pray and we will get started. Our Father, uh, we come to you this morning needing to hear from you. Lord, when Jesus was on this earth and what, oh, how thankful we are that he came to earth. When he was here, there were so many who misunderstood why he was here. Uh, Some had good intentions, good hearts. Others hated him and sought to kill him. Lord, as we come to you, we have more understanding than those who first heard him because of the Holy Spirit, because of the New Testament that explains to us everything that Jesus was telling us. And even still, there's a lot we don't understand. But we, like the disciples, stay with you because we've got nowhere to go. For starters, and we stay with you because we we recognize that if we have any real hope of purpose and meaning and joy in this life, it's going to be close to you. A lot of pain close to you, but there is great joy close to you too. And so today, as we hear the words of the Savior, may our hearts be drawn. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around, from Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. In other words, people were coming from everywhere, north, east, southwest. There wasn't too much territory to the east, uh, to the west, I mean, with the the Mediterranean Sea. But, But people were literally... Coming from everywhere, right on the shores of the Mediterranean, way south of Jerusalem. Uh, And and think about it. This was happening over and over. Everybody wanted to hear Jesus. Everybody wanted something from Jesus. And people like that are not going to be denied. When people have come from a a long distance, you can't say, "Just, just go home. There's nothing here for you. In addition to being taxing to Jesus and his disciples, both physically and emotionally, the crowds were actually a a threat to his well-being. 
And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And while you think that's a good thing, look, Satan, no matter what he says about Jesus, it's never meant for good. Whatever he says about God to you, it's never meant for good. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. It's been a tough week for our body. Most of you read Elisa's words uh, on the city. It probably came in your email box when she announced that this new cancer is growing quickly. We also got word late Thursday that Barbara Stevens has had cancer that has recurred and it's aggressive. That's hard. That's hard for us. It's not just hard for them. It's hard for us. Because we're family. We love each other at that level. And when one of you struggles like that, we get involved in every way that we possibly can. I I told you that when Linda, my wife, Linda was sick, every one of her family members were in ministry of some sort or another. And they said repeatedly, we've never seen a church help like this church. Listen, let that be said. About everybody who's sick. Not just the pastor's family or a prominent member's family. We are called to care for one another. You know, when we hear these things, we, we, we want to feel like Jesus did. When he encountered sickness, you know what he did? Often he was angry. And cried out in anger. Because of the effects of sin on this world. Not the effects of the sin of this individual. But the effect of sin on the world. And we all understand why the people so desperately wanted to get to Jesus. Because here's a man who can heal. Here's a man who can take it all away. Just like that. If you were starving... And a food truck came into your area. What are you going to do? You're going to tell your spouse, honey, let's just let everybody else get their share. And then you're looking at your family. And you're pressing in. You want the food. How would you feel if the last person in front of you got that last bit of food? What if he or she had, had cut in line to get your portion? <laughs> look, what, we want to say to Jesus, look, you, you can't handle this. You've got you've to get away. You've got to take some time for yourself. We wouldn't feel that way necessarily if we were in line. Waiting for him to heal us. In fact, if we were part of the crowd, we would likely think that was the reason that he came. To, to heal the sick, to, to, to let the blind see, to feed the poor. We would be just like everybody else in the crowd. We would say, 
God, you've sent us Jesus to do these things for us. And yet, as we've already seen in chapter 1, Jesus came to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And the miracles were an affirmation, a confirmation, a reinforcement of the message. It just said, see, the message is true. Listen to what I'm telling you about repentance, about kingdom, about belief. As grateful as we would be if he healed us, if that's the only thing we saw in Jesus, is someone to take care of our needs, we would be missing the point. What is the point? Well, I could make it here, but let's read a little further to bring God's ways more fully into our thinking. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles. By the way, there were a large number of people followed Jesus, known as disciples. But he pulls these twelve aside and he says, I'm calling you apostles, which simply means sent ones. I'm going to send you out. So here's, here's what he said. He appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons, the ones who oppose the work of Jesus. He appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, who is also named Cephas in the New Testament. When you see that name Cephas, it's referring to Simon, whose name was changed to Peter by Jesus. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew. Bartholomew may have also been Nathaniel. And Matthew, who was also Levi. Thomas, the doubter. James, the son of Alphaeus, also known as James the Less. And Thaddeus, who is also known as Judas, not Iscariot, in other Gospels. And Simon the Zealot. You know what a zealot was? Someone who worked to, it was a subversive as far as the Roman Empire was concerned. Worked to overthrow Rome, murder, none of, nothing was beyond zealots. They would do anything to try to break Rome's grip on the nation of Israel, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, these 12 men, along with the Apostle Paul, changed the world. These guys literally changed the world. It is about as unlikely a group as you could possibly. Sean talked a few weeks ago about Matthew, the tax collector, and how despised they... Can you imagine Matthew, the tax collector, working with Simon the Zealot? I mean, they had different goals entirely. Simon probably at times just wanted to kill him. He probably at that times when they were out and he thought, you know, I could do this at night and nobody would know. I could just smother him in his sleep and nobody would know. Why did, why did Jesus call these men? Two reasons were given. One, so that they might be with him. And two, so that he might send them out. You know, if you have a romanticized view of Jesus in the Christian life, once again, 
you're going to mo- miss the point of, 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 of this mission. To be near Jesus is a dangerous place to be. I mean, for starters, you may be crushed by the crowd. It, it was wonderful for the 236 people who were healed on that day, but what about the 1,549 that weren't? What about, what if you have to step in and say, okay, folks, that's all. There's no more bread. There's no more healing today. And what if the person just in front of you had cut in line? You think the crowd's going to be happy with that? And they're going to say, did you not see this guy cutting in line? Love and admiration for Jesus often turns quickly to anger when he turns out to be not who the people thought that he was. Love and admiration for Jesus quickly can, can quickly turn to anger when he turns out not to be who people thought that he was. Who did you think Jesus was when you first began to follow him seriously? Most of you, I'm going to imagine, made a profession of faith in Christ when you were young. Some of you would say, I don't ever remember a time when I wasn't a Christian. If you, if you were saved later in life like I was, then you, you have a clear thought process about who it was you thought Jesus was at that particular point in your life. Did you expect your life to be trouble-free? Or even if you didn't expect that, did you expect that it would be so filled with purpose that you could handle anything? I thought that I was going to overcome every temptation for the rest of my life, except for smoking cigarettes. That was one that was just really difficult. It took me a while to quit. And how many years later? 40? I mean, I could, you know, still, don't tempt me with, you know, don't tempt me with it. But the rest of the stuff was wonderful for three months or so. But you remember what it's like thinking, man, my life is so different. And it's going to, from now on, it's going to be on this path. Well, what would you say about our brothers and sisters in Africa? Some of whom are starving to death, not, not only because of of drought and famine, but because of government corruption and terrorist gangs and tribes that just keep them from... And, and, and how are you going to tell them Psalm 37, 4? I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. What are you going to say to them when it doesn't make sense? And they are dying, some of them. What are you going to say to our brothers and sisters in North Korea? And in Saudi Arabia, who because of their profession of faith in Jesus are executed or put in prison for many, many years. And their families are left destitute and to fend for themselves. It's a miserable life coming up for them. How do we explain that in the face of the teaching of so many that life with Jesus is always good? Maybe 
you had a sense that it was going to always be good or at the very least okay, even if you didn't believe a prosperity gospel, then that thing happened in your life that you could have never anticipated. Never. Now what? Jesus chose the twelve to be with him. To be with the king. What a privilege it is to be called to be close to Jesus. But the way of the king is the way of the cross. If you are close to Jesus, there will always be a cross involved. It may be physical, emotional, which is sometimes physical, relational, spiritual, active, active spiritual warfare coming at you so hard day in and day out as you live and share the gospel that you just don't know if you can withstand it. Look, as long as the romantic, if people that you're interacting with have a romanticized view of Jesus, then it's going to be okay in your relationship with you. They're going to be happy with you. But when you tell the truth, when you share the king's message with the world, even with those who are part of the crowd that admires Jesus, You may find yourself under the cross much more quickly than you ever anticipated. Especially when you share truth with religious people. Now some people are out there with their lives being in such. And and they say, oh, so you think you're just so much better than me. You think I'm going to go to hell because I do this or because I do that. Well, you're not so spiritual yourself you're not so great yourself you know but when you start dealing with religious people man and you say Jesus is your only hope they don't like to hear that that's why you cannot wait until you're better physically to be happy can't wait till things settle down For you to have peace. You can't wait. Until you have more courage to share the gospel. You got to be sharing it. That's why you can't wait. Until you're in better financial shape. To start tithing. You cannot. This is not one of those. Half in half out kind of lives. It's all in. Or not. doesn't mean we're not going to mess up doesn't mean we're not going to doubt I remember the night that Linda first went to the hospital and she told me I've told you this story before but there are a lot of you that don't know my first wife passed away from brain cancer and she had told me that Friday morning that that she was having trouble with her balance uh Linda was brilliant. Linda was so many things. Coordinated was not, you know, at the top of her list. So I, I just kind of said, well, you know, okay. So you're, you know, it's like every other day, eh? Well, we went to, and now I'm 
you know, live in the regret of that because I'm the one stumbling around and I'm thinking, wow, I wonder what that means. We, we, we go to Panera that night and she's dragging her left foot so much so that I'm, I'm sort of holding her up. And, you know, and I, I said, why are you dragging your left foot? She said, I didn't know that I was. And I'm just not thinking anything because bad things just don't happen to our family. I, I don't know that I'm... I, I, even having gone through losing the part of me that was one flesh with me, having that ripped apart, I still want to think it, nothing bad is going to happen to my family. So afterwards, we went to Barnes & Noble in Autumn. Our daughter came over, and she was alarmed and said, you get to the hospital. You get to the emergency room. We did. In fact, she was struggling at this point that we needed to get a wheelchair at the car, and we wheeled her in, and she never walked again on her own after that. I mean, it's just, just like that. We thought she had had a minor stroke, and so did the doctor, and they took her back for an MRI, and the doctor came, and she said, we did not find a stroke, but what we did find was a tumor, and it's a pretty good-sized tumor. And I, and I remember thinking, you know, people have tumors removed all the time. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And Linda was just saying over and over, this, didn't, this did not take God by surprise. This did not take God by surprise. Perhaps she knew better than I knew. And you know, we prayed for her to be delivered. And, and we, we prayed believing. And we had people that told us, I had people that told me, in the parking lot, one day when I was late coming into church because of things, responsibilities with Linda. If you don't do such and such a way, God is going, she's going to die. And essentially, it's going to be your fault. If you don't bring her to a particular place and let other particular people, God has told me this. Look, I'm just not... When somebody says, God has told me this, maybe he has, maybe he hasn't. I don't know. And it may look for all the world like he has, but I, I just can't. I don't know. This is, what, this is what God has told me. And when you live your life trying to sense what does God want me to do in this situation, you can easily mistake Remember, even Satan has a voice that comes to us. Now, you know what? God did not heal Linda in that place, but you know what has happened? There have been times when our elders have gone to pray in accordance to James 5 in the Scriptures when amazing things have happened. I mean amazing things. And I mean right then and there. And I'm talking about the kind of things that the doctors say, we've done everything we can. And it's not quite at the same level where Linda was, but there was just nothing to be done. God chooses to heal sometimes, sometimes he doesn't. Here's the point. Jesus, remember this, what Jesus did was to confirm what he was saying. That was the primary purpose 
of the miracles in that day. We live in a, in a grand day. We live in a grand day. Diseases are cured that 10 years ago just wouldn't have been. Chemo is more and more effective than it ever was before. And as miserable as it is, we gain time in this world. But that's not why Jesus came. And here's the point. Either you believe Jesus' teaching or you don't. You believe that Jesus came to save us or you don't. Either you believe that hope in the scripture is biblical, biblical hope is eternal hope. It's hope of being with Jesus forever. And that the way that hope affects us in this life is not so, oh, I hope this will happen, I hope that will happen. But no, because of the fact that we have a hope that one day we're going to be completely restored to the way life was in the Garden of Eden. Then we take joy in that no matter how difficult life is. But it's not hope that I'm going to get better, I'm going to get a better job, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And we all want those things and we pray for those things. And we were not created to die. God created Adam and Eve to live forever. Sin brought about death. And so we struggle against it. We fight for life. We want to live. But our hope is not in this life unless Jesus comes and takes us out of it. When life turns down a completely different trail than you anticipated. Either you trust him or you don't. And you know what? There are times that we don't. And that doesn't mean (laughs) that we're not spiritual. I mean, it doesn't mean you won't panic or feel paralyzed or say, say words that, you know, you haven't said in a long time that you'll regret later. Can't believe I said that. And it's, and, and it's times where, where the body does this. The body for, does this for one another. We, we, we believe. Just like those guys that brought that man to Jesus. We believe when, the, when it's difficult to believe for the other people. And I'm not talking about we believe that this or that person will be healed and there's nothing else that matters. I mean we believe That God is sovereign and that he is good. And we come alongside him and we let him cry. And we let him say whatever they need to say. And and, and say things like, I would be a lot worse if I were in your shape. And I know your faith is challenged right now. Let me believe for you. Let me help you through this. A lot of things beyond physical health that rise to this level of need, don't, aren't there? Do you think there are some things in life that are worse than death? If not, you're just young. That's all I've got to say. The older you are, the more you realize death is preferable to some of the things that happen to us. Especially... If you have hope in Jesus. 
If you believe that Jesus came to heal all of your sicknesses, to smooth all of your troubles, to take care of all of your needs, you're heading for significant confusion and disappointment. And it's especially true if you're the first person after the line is cut. I mean, you see your friend get a job, your cousin is healed, your colleague at work gets the promotion that you deserve and prayed for. Your neighbor lives a charmed life. But your life is full of trouble. Does God make things? Oh, absolutely. Does he heal? Absolutely he does. And when he does, we praise him. And we say, this is a picture of how, what God is going to do for all who follow Jesus. And we praise him publicly. And we rejoice when somebody gets a job. Even when we don't, we need it desperately. And he gets it and we, I don't. The challenge, of course, is to praise him when life is so hard in the same way. And I am not as consistent as I would like to be in this. So this challenge is as much for me as it is for you. When I'm going through a difficult time in life, Unfortunately, it's not a good thing, not a good thing for a pastor, but sometimes you can tell, you know, you say, everything okay? I say, oh, yeah, yeah, everything's okay. But life is hard, you know? And it's difficult to praise God at that, at that level. But you know what? Trials, difficulties help you do that later in life. I'm in a way different place than I was six months ago and probably get a challenge very soon. For having said that, that's the way it goes. But either we believe or we don't. What if you had been one of the twelve that was that were chosen on that day? And Jesus said, I, I want you to be with me for a long time. And then I want to send you out to announce the kingdom of God. That would be so cool, wouldn't it? It, it would be until Jesus is arrested then. You're just not making sense of it. Only one of the 12 men in this group that Jesus called would die of natural causes as an old man. The Apostle John. Uh, Judas Iscariot would hang himself after he betrayed Jesus and the other 10 would all be martyred. They would all be killed for their faith in Christ. One thing we know for sure, none of us is making it out of here alive. But when you or someone you love is suddenly faced with eternity much sooner than you had planned, than you had planned or hoped, then it's time to fall hard on Jesus and to remember that your hope was in Him all along, not in a trouble-free life. That's what Linda was saying when she said, this didn't take God by surprise. This didn't take God by Surprise. And when we arrive at such a place, and only when, and sometimes we don't get there without the challenges, that's when we know a joy that we didn't know existed. When all of our hope is in Him. And you know, in the Old Testament, it's amazing how many times you see God chastising the children of Israel because He said, I brought this calamity on you, and you didn't look to me. I gave trouble, I brought trouble in your life, but you didn't look to me. So, 
since we never know when that time of trial is going to be for us, best that we try to listen carefully and understand Jesus' message. Are you part of the crowd misunderstanding Jesus' purpose and plan for your life? Or are you one of the twelve willing to follow Him when life makes no sense at all? Talk about in home group this week, John 6, where Jesus said some hard things and a lot of people walked away. And they said, I just, I, I can't, I can't handle this anymore. Look, I, I know this may feel kind of like a downer message. And truly there is great joy in Jesus when we hear his message and believe his word. But it's easy to get lost in the trees if we're not careful. My heart is very heavy this week. It's heavy. For Elise's news, for Barbara's news, Barbara and Gary and James, relatively new to our church, but I've known them forever. Well, a long time anyway. And they're in our home group. And our home group has been hit hard this week. And I've walked with Craig and Elise and Fennerty's this whole way. The entire way. I was there in the hospital when Lachlan was born and had to have a shunt put in his brain. And just shortly after, Elise got the news. And then before you know it, Linda has her news. My heart is heavy not only for these guys who are facing these physical challenges and we're going to believe with them. And we're going to trust God no matter what, but we're going to pray for healing. We're going to pray for grace and God's presence to overwhelm us. But there are others of you that are struggling in different ways. That are very, very painful. And my heart is heavy. So who is Jesus? Who is he? I mean, do we really believe? You know, it's one thing to be misunderstood like Jesus was by some in the crowd. Or even by his disciples. As was so often the case. But what about when your family misunderstands you? Has your relationship with Jesus ever been a source of, uh, of misunderstanding or even contention in your family? When I first went to Teen Valley Ranch, my grandmother called it the hiding place. Look, I was a hippie. I was into drugs. I was arrested. I was all kinds of things. My family wanted me to get saved. I'm not sure they wanted me to get quite as saved as I did, you know, in 1972. And, and some of you have had that exact thing. Look at what happened to Jesus. And look, this would be a good time to just pray and stop. We're all exhausted. I know that. I get that. Can you hang just a little bit? Because we're, we're coming up on one of the most misunderstood or questioned teachings in all the scripture, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? And it all sort of ties together. 
But verse 20, then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he's out of his mind. I wonder what they really thought. Um, He's out of his mind. And this included Jesus' mother, Mary. Who remember when the angel came to her, kept these things. when, When she saw Jesus in the temple, she kept these things in her heart and pondered them. Well, there was a lot that Mary didn't get. I mean, who's greater than Mary? I mean, she does not deserve the, the honor and the veneration that the Roman Catholic Church give her. Uh, but she had great faith. Now, listen, Mary, every time you turn around, Mary, in her interactions with Jesus, she's missing the point. And Jesus is actually setting her straight over and over and over. Whenever you see that interaction there she was confused at this point as were two of her sons two of whom you know James who became the leader of the, of the Jerusalem church and and Jude who wrote the penultimate book of the Bible that's that's one for you to look up penultimate just see where where Jude is in the Bible and you'll get the meaning they didn't believe then but they would believe when they saw Jesus at the resurrection after his resurrection At this point, though, they misunderstood him and they thought he was crazy. But it was nothing compared to the misunderstanding of the religious leaders' impressions of Jesus. Jesus said, in fact, that in publicly stating their beliefs about him, they had or or were about to commit the unpardonable sin. Verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. In other words, you know what? You know how he's doing this, casting out demons? Well, he's got a devil himself. And he called to them. Jesus called to them, said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, All sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. But is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean sin. So what in the world is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I mean, we ought to know, shouldn't we? If it's the, if it's the one sin that will not be ever forgiven. What do you think it was? You ever thought about it? What was it? Well, in order to understand it, you've got to go back to that day. You remember how the Pharisees had watched Jesus in, in the synagogue and they said, well, let's just see if he heals. I mean, they knew he could heal. And they hoped that he would so they could accuse him of breaking the Sabbath laws and then kill him. Rather extreme, don't you think? Well, you wouldn't think so if you had been in Jesus' day. Well, you wouldn't think so if you didn't believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Son of man, God in the flesh. I mean, we've established that the Old Testament and the Old Testament miracles came in clusters. And they served to affirm the message of the people who were speaking the word of God. 
So when religious leaders see Jesus performing these miracles, and they absolutely can't deny it, then they've got two options. Repent and believe or have another explanation for the miracles. I mean, they couldn't deny the miracles happened. They were of supernatural origin. But if they refused to accept Jesus did not, if they, that de- Jesus did that by the power of God, if they said, no way, this is the power of God, what's the only conclusion they've got? It's the power of Satan. And remember who it was making this accusation in that day. It wasn't the common people. It was the theologically trained people of the day. Religious people. They were not, this was not a casual remark that they would later regret. But they were those who had carefully studied Jesus' claims. And they knew enough about Scripture to think this could be true. But they resolutely refused to believe and said so publicly. He called his ministry demonic. So after Jesus says, well, that's absurd, he gives a warning that well may have been a word of condemnation. If it wasn't condemnation, it was right at the brink. It was right on the edge of him saying, it's too late for you. In fact, when Sean preaches about the parables next week, we're going to see it's more about declaring than it is about encouraging people to to, to get some spiritual meaning out of this parable. Jesus is just making statements about who's who, what's what. In the kingdom. And he may have been doing that. Saying that this was a sin that cannot be forgiven. Uh, Is it possible to commit this sin today? Maybe not. But if it is. It it would not be as C.E.B. Cranfeld said in so many words. The ignorant blasphemer on the street. Who is in danger of committing the unforgivable sin. But the man or woman in the church, who knows the scriptures, has heard the word held forth with accuracy, has seen something of the miraculous power of God in changed lives, and yet rejects it all, even identifying what he has seen with the power of Satan. He calls light, darkness, and good evil in testimony to a massive perversion of the Spirit. The warning is particularly to those who have grown up in the church and may even have some theological education, but have willfully rejected it, and in their heart of hearts, attribute supposed Christian reality to evil. Here's a word, let me just say to you, whatever you're playing with, whatever you're saying, I'm going to wait just a little bit before I get a hold of this sin, I'm going to wait just a little bit before... I work on my marriage. I'm going to wait just a little bit before I believe in Jesus. Augustine did that. He got away with it. We talked about that recently in the church history class. Sometimes we cross a line and our hearts are too hard. And we don't even know we were there. Here's how you can know whether you've committed the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. If you're worried that you have, you haven't. I mean, if you're thinking, maybe I did. You know what? I'm, I'm going to guess there are probably 10, 15, 20 of you in this room that are plagued with doubt about your salvation. And I will tell you this. If you will tell me that you believe that Jesus is your only hope of heaven, that there's nothing you can do, you're aware of that, but Jesus' death on the cross is your only hope of heaven, then I'm going to guess 
I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more confident about your salvation than I have, you know, some of the other yahoos in this crowd today. You know, including... I, I, I went through five years. It was torture. And if you to have a tendency to doubt your salvation, you look at a passage like this and you say, is that me? Did I somehow, have I committed? No, you haven't, no. If you say, if you just don't even care, if you're like, what, what? That's when you got to worry, but it's, you know. When people say, no, I just don't believe that stuff. I don't believe that Jesus died. And you're telling me that I can live anyway. No, again, that's not what I'm, what I'm telling you. It's not what Jesus is telling you. But he is saying, if you're dependent on your good works to get you to heaven, you're not going. And if you reject what he said so that you reject him and you do so publicly. And you say Jesus is a fraud, then you're in danger. It's not those who say something casually and then later regret it. It's those who have carefully weighed the evidence and are convinced in their minds that Jesus is wrong. We're not talking about, oh, I, I need to keep the law as well as be with Jesus. And you, and you get some clarity on that. Not that. It's those who say, Jesus was a fraud. And then you never change your mind. People misunderstood Jesus in his day and they misunderstand him in ours. And if you are his follower proclaiming his message, you will be misunderstood as well. The more you share truth with others, particularly the religious, and the more you are like Jesus, people aren't going to like it. And look, it, it, it could be your fault, you know, but, but, but it could be that you're just becoming more and more like Jesus. And Satan hates that. And even though the demons aren't going to go nuts, you know, when, they, when you're in their presence, it's not like, you know, people start falling on the floor and writhing. Oh, there's Jesus in you. Still, there's an element of this sense that the more you are like Jesus, the more fault people find with you. Because they're convicted by the light that is shining so brightly in their darkness. Sometimes it's family that think we're crazy. Going right back, our text concludes this way, right back to where we were earlier. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called to him. And they weren't saying, hey, Jesus, hey, we're here to support you. You know, they wanted to put the hook and take him off stage, you know. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers, they said, the crowd said, hey, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he said, who? Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. <laughs> if you read this out of context, you might think, wow, that's a little rude, isn't it? No, they, they thought he was mentally insane. And, and, and since home was where you kept the mentally insane in that day, they just wanted to take him home, just get him off the scene. They wanted to stay in good standing with the Jewish leaders, the community around them. So they said, let's get him off. You know, it might seem ridiculous to you that people actually think like that, that people are crazy. I stayed with a family in Prague, Czech Republic, 
almost 14 years ago, probably the most atheistic country in the world. And I stayed with a couple, man, a woman. This guy was wildly, wildly successful, financially successful. He had several businesses. He owned a, a building with a, you know, with a pool and a spa downstairs. You know, we went, went down and hung out in the steam room, you know. And his family thought he was certifiable. I mean, they said, you're, you're nuts. His wife family thought he was certifiable. They said, you're nuts. Their teenage daughter thought that her parents were crazy. And when I tried to say hello, they had warned me, but I'm thinking, man, I'm good with teenagers. She screamed. She went berserk, talking about how crazy the three of us were, you know. If you follow Jesus, it's the most painful when people in your family or your colleagues at work you know, people in your neighborhood say, can you tone it down a notch? You ever had that happen? Can you just not be so fanatical? It comes back to the same thing that we've discussed with these other challenges that are before us. Either we believe or we don't. Either Jesus was who he said he was or he wasn't. And he does not call us to a half-hearted life following him. We live in this city of man, but there's a city of God to which we are moving. And when we live like it, the city of man is going to say, what is your problem? In fact, if you don't get off of that, I'm going to give you a different kind of problem. No wonder sometimes this family is more important to us than our natural family, especially when they don't believe. You know what it's like. It doesn't mean that you disrespect your natural family. No, you love them as every bit as you can. And let God change them. I'm so grateful that you've witnessed to them, but stop. If you have, let your life be what convicts them. And your life will bring about change for other people when they see Jesus in you. So you're following Jesus or you wouldn't be here this morning or you're interested anyway. Who is he? What's his purpose for you? How are you going to stand when everything that you thought was true is not? Are you going to walk away like those other disciples in John 10? Or are you going to say, I think it may have been Peter who said, when Jesus said, are you going to leave also? He said, where do we go? Where are we going to go? You have the words of life. Let's pray. Every relational issue, every, every mistake away from us and making us new, completely restored right now. And yet, the hand that chooses not to do that 
right now sometimes. May this hand be the hand that we just fall into and trust completely above and beyond our own understanding, above and beyond our own ability to make sense of it. Where else are we going to go? Yours is the mighty, powerful, strong, gentle, loving, leading hand that has never failed. Your wisdom is above ours. Your ways are greater than our ways and our understanding. And so we commit ourselves to your hand, Lord. In and through Jesus Christ, according to your word as, as it's been taught to us by your spirit. And we ask that this sense of your hand in our life, around us, within us, would not leave us, but that it would go with us as we leave this place today. And that we would not forget to extend our hand to our brothers and sisters, our mothers, our fathers, those who seek to do your will. And that we would not forget to extend our hand to those in the world as we as we go throughout it this week just as you have showing them the great love of Christ in and through our life and Lord we do ask for healing from all of the sicknesses the cancer the hurt from mental and emotional issues relational issues families that are struggling ripped apart scattered Lord we ask that you will not cut the line off before we before we get to partake but even if you do cut that line off today Remind us that our hope is not in the here and now, but that our hope is in eternity. It's in Christ's name that we ask all of these things. Amen. If you would stand, we'll receive the benediction from that penultimate book. It means next to last. Don't let the big words fool you. We hear from verse 24 in Jude to the end very regularly, but I want to back up just a little bit to verse 20. We're in this already but not yet situation. And another question comes to my mind. Yes, the question of, well, who is Jesus? What, what, you know, what is he to us today? But, but another question that comes to my mind is, well, what do we do in this waiting? 
Verse 20 in Jude. But you, dear friends, build yourself up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. And while you're waiting with others around you, don't just look to yourself, but also to the interest of others. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. And to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen.